2 Corinthians chapter 9. Going to teach us today about the example that's given to us in Scripture. There are some people that are very good with learning in the sense of they can just hear the instruction and they can kind of figure it out and do it, right? Maybe they can read it from a book and they can just figure out and do it. But I'm the kind of person where I need somebody to show me. How many of you guys, you need to be shown, especially if it's something physical, right? Show me, what are you talking about? You can use all this technical language and all of this precise language to explain something, but it's like, no, come on, show me what that looks like. By the way, that's why God gives us so many stories in the Bible is because he is showing us what faith looks like. He says, this is the choice they had to make in this time period. This is what they knew God wanted them to do. And either they obeyed it and this was the outcome or they didn't obey it. And this was the outcome. He shows us. Well, that same pattern is given to us in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and we'll look at 9. And we'll look at 6, 7, and 8 for the verses. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7, and 8. It says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency, in all things may abound to every good work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now and we ask that you help us as a church to develop the heart of a cheerful giver. We thank you for the grace that you have worked in our hearts and brought us to this point. Lord, I pray for the ones who are listening where giving generously to you and to your work is a new thing. Lord, please help them to understand this. Give them grace to grow. Lord, those of us who have been accustomed to this message and this expectation for a long time, Lord, I pray you would help us not to sit in comfort, but help us, Lord, to grow in this area as well. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in this matter of being a cheerful giver. We love you and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jump back over to 2 Corinthians 8. So just the previous chapter, it gives us an example. It brings up an example. So Corinthians was written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to as the name says, 
to the people from the city of Corinth. Okay, Corinth is a city that's still around today, right? Over in Greece. So Corinth. So the people that are living in Corinth are called Corinthians. And the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians were written to this church for instruction in Christianity. It teaches them things they were doing well, and it praised them and said, hey, good job, keep doing that. It also said, uh, the, this book said, this is what you're doing wrong. You shouldn't do that. You need to change this to please the Lord. And it also taught new things, and it, and it helped them to deepen their faith. And it also brings up in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and parts of 10, this matter of giving. Now, when Paul is addressing this, he is going to use an example of a group of churches from an area called Macedonia. Now, before we read the verse, let me show you. Don't worry about all of the print. This was the clear, I must have used 12 different clip arts from the internet trying to find Macedonia, and this was the clearest one. Some of them were so fuzzy. I'm like, that's going to make things more fuzzy, right? Okay, so if you look, here's Jerusalem. Now, this is a part of, this is Asia, right? There's Italy. You guys recognize that, okay? And down here, this modern-day Turkey. This is, this is Greece. You guys recognize this, okay? This is northern Africa. We good so far? We good? Everybody's completely confused. All right, perfect. All right. Okay, so here's Jerusalem, and we can see this is where Jesus died. And so Christianity began to travel, and they began to preach the gospel all the way through all of these areas. And then here's Rome, right? And eventually the gospel made it all the way over into, somebody tell me what this is. Spain. This is Italy. This is Spain, right? Awesome. We're so good at geography. Amazing. We could all be navigators on an airplane. Okay, so, all right, so when we're looking at the churches of Macedonia, that is this area. Philippi is right there. So when you're reading the book of Philippians, that's one of these churches. Okay, this is Thessalonica and this is Berea. All of these churches are mentioned in the New Testament. So we have the book of Thessalonians. It's written to the church in that city. We've got the, uh, the church of Philippi. That's the book of Philippians. And it's written to the church in that city. But that whole area, right, that whole um, area is called Macedonia, all right? And so when we're looking in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 1, okay, look with me there. It says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God, or I want to draw your attention to the grace of God bestowed on the churches, notice the plural, of Macedonia, He's bringing out the example, right? Um, we know as parents, it's probably not the best thing to tell a child who's doing wrong, pointing to the child doing right and say, why can't you be more like your older brother or sister or whatever? That's not good parenting. That just breeds resentment and then they, they fight when your back is turned, right? Okay? So there's a wrong way to do it, but there's also a right way to do it. And this is a right way to do it. God is using the example of these other churches in Macedonia that are, have been very generous in their giving. And the purpose for their giving was twofold. Okay. 
The purpose for their giving was charity because the church at Jerusalem had now become very, very poor. Persecution was very intense. They couldn't work. They didn't have the same membership. Everybody was leaving because everything was so dangerous. And so they had a huge need for help. Okay. And so um, that was one of the reasons. The other reason was this particular offering was taken up so that the apostle Paul could go forward and he could preach the gospel in all of these other places. Now, sometimes it is brought up that Paul could work. He had a, he had a job sometimes. He was a tent maker. That was one of the things he had the skill to do, meaning he literally could make a tent. And there were different times in his gospel ministry where he would be making tents. But here's the thing. If he's making tents, is he preaching the gospel? No, he's making tents, right? And so this is one of the things that we do as a church is we're following the example of scripture where we will specifically give to those who dedicate their lives for missions so that they can full time give themselves to getting the gospel out and starting churches in the areas that they have been called to. And that's what we're trying to do with our project over here. Okay. So he gives the example and the example in verse number two, is says how that in a great trial of affliction. So first of all, we're seeing these, we've got poor people giving to poor people, right? That's the example. How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. I'll explain that in just a moment. Verse three, for to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. What are they talking about? They're talking about the churches of Macedonia were very poor churches. And yet when they heard about the need in Jerusalem and also the need for Paul to go in the regions beyond, the Bible says, or further out away from, um, you know, the, 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 the common areas of the Roman Empire, um, that when they heard about this need, they gave sacrificially for this need. And it says in verse number five, and this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Okay, notice the example in verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, These whole chapters are talking about giving and instructing us in giving, but we're just going to bring out three simple principles, and that's what we've looked at in 2 Corinthians 9, okay? 2 Corinthians 8, and now we're in chapter 9. Yeah. Yeah, now we're in 9. We were in 8 for about 10 minutes, but now we're in 9. Are we good? Confused? Okay, we're good. We're set. Perfect. Hey, look, it doesn't make any it does it it doesn't do any good for me to keep talking and everybody's confused. So if somebody just hey pastor, whoa, hey, whoop. It's okay. That's how we do it here. That's okay. 
one day when we're 200 people, that will be a little awkward, right? But it's okay if you do it when we're 200 people too. It's, it's perfectly fine, all right? So, hey, let's jump back to chapter eight. Eight, this is eight in sign language, okay? So notice verse eight. Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. All of that, what all of that means in verse number two is basically this, is that they were having a very difficult time themselves, okay? They were in poverty, and yet they gave sacrificially to these other believers that were in need. That's what it's saying. And what's the result? Great joy. You guys see that? In verse number two, the abundance of their joy. Right? So can we easily say that one of the results of being a generous person, one of the results, you're going to be a joyful person. God compensates a giver with joy. Let me say that again. God compensates a giver with joy. Okay? Okay, so notice in chapter 9. Now we're back in chapter 9 where we started. Okay, so three simple principles. About giving. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The first thing that we see here is that there is a principle of sowing and reaping. God teaches us that when we give, it is like sowing, okay? Somebody answer me and say, what do we sow in the physical world? What do farmers sow? Seeds, okay? It looks, if someone didn't have any idea what was going on, it looks like as if they're just throwing it away, right? If you had no idea, if you'd never seen it happen before, which at this time, everybody had seen it and they'd probably done it themselves. How many of you guys have ever grown a garden Okay, good. How many of you guys ever worked on a farm? Miss Sonia, what a blessing. Okay, yeah, okay. So we understand. There is maintenance involved, but you have to sow the seed. If you go to the store and buy the little packet of seeds, cucumber seeds or lettuce or tomatoes, everybody loves growing tomatoes, right? Or whatever it is. If you just keep them there safe, I'm saving them in my seed bank, right? Are you ever going to have tomatoes? Somebody tell me what's inside tomatoes. More? More seeds, okay? So we need to understand that God uses the natural world to teach us spiritual truth, okay? By the way, don't think for a moment I'm pumping you for all your money. I'm not doing that, right? Oh, some doubt in the room. Okay, all right. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, here's, here's the thing, guys. This is the time in our church every October where we talk about this specific thing. 
God has given us money in various ways, and we all, no matter where we are in our Christian growth, whether we start out very small and we start by giving just a little bit, that's perfectly fine. We all start somewhere. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is not interested in us living the Christian life and us protecting our money from him. Why? Because he gives us a different perspective on money. What perspective does he give us? He gives us the perspective of this, that money is a tool. Money is a tool for what? Money is a tool for us to help other people. Money is a tool for us to see God work in our life. Everybody says, I want to see God. Well, he's given us a way to do that. He's given us seeds, so to speak. And the only way to activate them is by sowing them. We see here, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, sparingly, stingily, stingily. That's exactly what the definition is in Greek. Stingily, if you're stingy with your giving. I have occasionally I'll have some friends that come up to me and say, hey, I finally decided to start working out. I'm like, good for you, buddy. That's fantastic. And then inevitably they want to say this. I, I don't want it to cost me any money. I don't want it to take very long. And I don't want it to hurt. <laughs> okay. Those of us who are a little bit into fitness, what's the easy answer? That's not going to happen. Yeah, laying down on the couch is free. It doesn't hurt. And it, well, can take as long as you want. Okay? The fact of the matter is, is that we recognize in every other aspect of our life, you reap what you sow. Okay? Um, And so he says here, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap also sparingly. But he also says, if you're generous in your sowing, you will reap generously. Notice he says in verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Now, here's something interesting with the Corinthian church versus the Macedonian church. The Macedonian churches were poor, really, really poor. Okay, The Corinthian church, they were very rich. They were very, very rich. And a matter of fact, they had even promised to give to this offering one year previous, but they didn't come through with it. And so he's encouraging them and saying, right now you are just putting up your seed and you're storing it and you're not, you're, you're not reaping anything. If you will take that as a tool and you will sow that, then you will reap amazing results. If we are frustrated with the results of something, we must ask ourselves, am I reaping sparingly because I'm sowing sparingly? The Bible says in Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. So again, the liberal soul shall be made fat. Liberal meaning what? Liberal meaning generous. That's what that word means. And liberal, the liberal soul shall be made fat. Now, remember back in this particular time, if you were literally, if you were fat, that was considered, wow, you're prosperous. You have so much. 
look at you, right? It was kind of like this visible thing. Nowadays, we work super hard and we, uh, we, 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 try to, we try to stay skinny and we try to stay fit, right? But back then, it was like the super skinny people, those are the poor people. And the guys that were large, those are the ones that had plenty. They, they were fat, right? And so this is just a little illustration. The Bible's not trying to say um, that if, if someone struggles with their weight, then somehow they're more godly than others. That's not what it's saying. It's just an illustration based on the history of that time, right? Um, and so he's trying to say that if it, in giving that we are not, we're not losing when we're giving, right? Um, but that we are, we're actually sowing seed, Proverbs 22, 9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Giveth of his bread to the poor. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 that sounds a little strange. It says this, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it again after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters. Sounds strange. Cast your bread upon the waters and you'll find it after many days. The explanation is this, is that when the waters like the Nile River have overflown the banks and flooded the whole country, then it is time to cast your seed. The waters will retire. They'll go back. The seed will sink into the accumulated fertile mud that is deposited and will spring up in an abundant harvest. So it is with that which is given for objects of benevolence or generosity. What do you give generously to? What do you give your time generously to? What do you give your heart to? Whatever you give to, you're going to be good at. You think, my heart is so filled with fear and anxiety. It's probably because you give your heart constantly to that. Hmm? It's true. Right? Whatever we give ourselves to, that's what we're going to be good at. That's where we are going to grow those things in our life. The fruit of the Spirit. Pastor, I really struggle with love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I really struggle. Well, my question is, how much time do you spend sowing towards the Spirit? You guys look at me. Everybody look. There's two sides to a Christian. We have the Spirit and we have the flesh. The Holy Spirit. We've got the saved part of us, the inside, the deepest part of us, 100% saved. When we die, that part of us is immediately going to go to heaven. The problem is the deepest part of us, okay, if we're not careful, we'll just let it stay deep and we won't let it work itself out. How does it work itself out? Through the word of God, through prayer, through obedience, very simple things. Through those three simple things, through the word of God, through prayer, and through obedience, it works itself out. The problem is, is that when we got saved, our brain didn't get saved. Our brain is still our old brain. Our habits are still our old habits. Is that true? It's true. And, and we can struggle and think, I still struggle with these thoughts. I still think this way. For example, some of you right now, we're talking about money. You're thinking, you're, 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 not, you're, you're not thinking the way someone who's listened to the Bible for 20 years is thinking about it. If you're new to Christ or you've only been saved for a year or two or three or four or five and you're newer, you're, you're hearing money, you're thinking, man, it may be a little uncomfortable. That's okay. Discomfort's a part of growth. Right? You, you ever, you, my, my son sometimes, he walks around. What's wrong? 
My leg hurts. What do we say as parents? Growing pains. Growing pains. Uh, every three weeks, I go to the Cairo. God bless Cairo's. Amen. God bless Cairo's. And the first thing, when I lay on the table, he always says, lay face down. And the little, bzzz, I don't know if your Cairo has one of those, is like this mechanical table. And you bzzz, it's kind of weird. Bzzz, and you see the ground coming up. You're thinking, man, I hope this thing doesn't slip. What does he do? He take, you got to take your shoes off, right? And, and, and he puts my heels together. And he always sees one leg's longer than the other. You're thinking, how can that be? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you, absolutely, yeah. They always do. Yeah, and it's like, well, <laughs> your body does weird things. You think I'm healthy, I try to eat healthy, I lift weights, I do all these things, and it's like, how can one leg be longer than the other? And it's not permanently so. What does it need? It needs an adjustment. And sometimes it's painful. And sometimes it's loud. Sometimes they're screaming. I'm just going to go ahead and say. <laughs> A moment of pain and then pleasure. Right? He's like, okay, breathe it. You guys know this. Okay, breathe in. This is going to be loud. And you're kind of like, I, I, I know I should relax. I know I should relax. I know I should. Pow! <sighs> He's like, ooh, that was a big one. What happens? You feel, wow, the, pain, the pain's gone. I'm walking normal. My headaches are gone. What kind of witchcraft is this? No, it's just a chiropractor. Right? He just does his thing. He gives you a little adjustment and your headache goes away. And guys, listen. We've got to understand that spiritually, there's a deep part of us. It always wants to do the right thing. It always wants to be generous. It always wants to love other people and love God. It always wants that. And the part is, is that when we connect to God's word, when we connect to each other in fellowship, when we connect to prayer, hmm, it starts to work itself out and it begins to teach our brain new ways and new things. It's called faith. It's beginning to rewire your brain into the ways of faith instead of fear. Instead of, I'm going to control it. I can do it. And the thing is, is that we will never be the Christian God wants us to be. We will never be the giver. We will never be that person that God wants us to be and have the life God wants us to have if we're not willing to be challenged in the area of generosity. It requires faith. If you only have three seeds, should you only plant one? No, because we know if we plant the three, inside of each of those tomatoes is going to have however many. I didn't look that up. More than one, <laughs> right? So the simple thing in the God, God, God rewards us with comfort and peace, which results from giving. He rewards us with rewards us with reflection. When we look back and say, I gave to that. And, and, and now I can look back with comfort and peace, knowing that I've invested money in an area that brings God 
incredible happiness. In the life to come, God will in some way repay to us far more than he has bestowed in the deeds of charity. God can and will reward his people in heaven abundantly one day. The first thing that we see, the first principle in this area of sowing, in in being a cheerful giver, is the law of sowing and reaping. The next thing that we see is the heart of a cheerful giver. Let's look at verse number seven. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Okay, look, let me, let me just say this. What does it say in verse number seven? Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. It's your choice. When I'm speaking right now, don't think, oh, pastor's gonna ask me for X, Y, Z. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> according as you purpose in your heart. It's between you and the Lord. Amen. It's an individual choice for each believer. We can also see giving is from the heart. No much, not so much from the head, but it's from the heart. According as he purposeth in his heart. Can I say this? Allow God to speak to your heart as to what you should give. We want Christianity to work for us. We want Christianity to work for us. But we have to work it. Occasionally you'll go to a, you'll drive by a garage sale. Without question, there will always be an old piece of exercise equipment at the garage sale. An old exercise bike, or those Nordic tracks. You guys remember those old things? They made them. They made them jokers out of wood, right? Old school Nordic tracks, right? And you'll talk to the owner, and they'll say, "Oh, it was just an expensive clothes rack. It sat in the corner, and what they do with it? They threw clothes on it, right? They're, all the potential for them to be incredibly healthy is sitting right there, right?" But what'd they do with it? They threw clothes on it. No, maybe they were helping in another way, whatever. But for the illustration's sake, oftentimes people come to Christianity and they're like, it doesn't work. Oh, oh, so thousands of people throughout time have found that Christianity works for them, but you're the exception. But the Bible says God is not a respecter of persons and God doesn't change. Is that true? It works if we work it. It works if we work it. Which means we have to allow God to speak to our heart as to what we should give. Doesn't mean you don't consult your budget. It means that your heart for God is brought to your budget. Doesn't mean you're you're making impulsive decisions. Oh, we just saw this thing for the missionary that died in, 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 in that other country. And we're going to, and so my heart goes out. And so we're just going to, I'm just going to sell everything. I'm just going to, no, come on now. It does. The Bible's saying, it's not saying don't use your brain. It's saying, it's not saying don't consult your budget. It's saying, bring your heart for God to your budget. Spirit and in truth. God is, God is not teaching us to be impulsive and irresponsible with our money. He's teaching here that it is irresponsible not to be generous from the heart. Matthew 6, 19, we studied this last week. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God loves a cheerful giver. It's voluntary. Not grudgingly means it's not of grief or of necessity, not compelled to do it. It's not because of pressure. It's because of your love for the Lord. It's because you love the things that he loves. Lastly, we see God's guarantee of grace. Law of sowing and reaping. We studied numbers, uh, verse number seven, the cheerful, the cheerful giver. It's your personal choice. It's voluntary. It's not because of outward pressure. It's because between you and the Lord. And then verse number eight says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God's guarantee of grace. Giving shows us clearly the God, that God is our all-sufficient provider. In the Old Testament, he revealed himself by the name of Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. God has all grace. He has all grace. He has all of the favor to motivate you, to help you, to follow through and to trust God with the results. He has all of the power that you need. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Both to will, meaning God can work in our heart to want to do what he wants us to do. He can work in us. God is able and willing. God is able and willing. He has all grace. God does not leave anything behind to those who are willing to give their all to him. So my question is this. Are we willing to have the heart of a cheerful giver? The number is between you and the Lord. It's not between you and me. I'm not going to come to you personally. That'll never happen. Whether it's concerning tithing or whether it's concerning giving to missions or special projects or some needs that may come up along the way, it's between you and the Lord. But here's the thing. God wants us to know that money is a very important tool that he has trusted us with. And with that tool, we can see God very real in our lives And we can use it to fill our hearts with incredible joy. Here's the question. Every commercial on TV, every commercial on YouTube, in a way, is kind of promising what God just said right here. If you will spend your money on this face cream, spend your money on this vehicle, the new 2023 Navigator is coming out. Oh my goodness. And here's a super beautiful celebrity that can tell you, even though it's night and it's really strange and there's an empty city and nobody's walking around and such weird commercials sometimes. What's it promising you? You buy this and you do this for this price tag. You can have incredible joy. Right? And God says, you choose whatever the number is between you and the Lord. And God promises 
If we're generous for things that matter to him, he will fill our hearts with joy. Now, my question is, why would we choose to believe the advertiser and not choose to believe the God who loved us so much that he saved us? Let's believe him. Let's believe him. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.